verses 21 to 23. So hear these words from God's Word. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this letter that speaks to our heart on so many levels. As we complete it, would you help us to see what you have here for us? Help us to take it in, to digest it, and to see that you are good and that you are God alone. You are sovereign and you will have your way and will bring this earth to your conclusion in your gracious timing. So again, Lord, help us to see what you want to say to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So it's the day after Thanksgiving. And you look in your fridge, and what do you see? What? Leftovers, right? Leftovers. There's turkey. There's mashed potatoes. There's some stuffing, maybe some bean casserole. Some version of cranberry whatever. Gravy. And the question you always ask yourself as you look at these leftovers is this. If I heat this up, will it be as good as it was the first time? And then you're asking the question, how much do we have? Do we have enough to feed me? Do we have enough to feed everybody? Now, I'm not here to make an apologetic for Thanksgiving food. I know turkey is not the favorite food of some people. I like it, but not everybody likes it, okay? But I also know that for some people, the leftover part is actually the best part. They get it out, and they're going to make their hot turkey sandwiches. They're going to put the turkey on there, and the and the gravy, and they're going to put it on the dinner roll, and the mashed potatoes. And they reheat it, and it's like, it's awesome sauce. It's like, oh, this is better. This is better than than yesterday. They love it. They love it. Today we kind of come, no, we don't kind of, we do come to the end of this letter, to the Philippians. And there are only three verses that are remaining. And they just seem to be greetings, you know, from one church to another. And if we're not careful, we'll miss, we'll miss what God wants to say to us. You see, after plumbing the depths of some pretty deep theology in, in the book of Philippians, looking at what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain, to have the attitude of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he made himself a slave being found in human appearance that is some deep stuff if we think about what it meant for god to put on flesh as we contemplate what it, it means to seriously 
take his command to rejoice in the Lord always. Always? Yes, always. Again, I say rejoice. And then even last week, to look at Paul receiving a gracious gift from the Philippians. And him saying, I'm so, I rejoice in this, but let me tell you, I'm not in need, because I've learned what it means to be content. I've learned the secret to be content in every situation. And it's not found in the gift, it's found in the giver, in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we talked about worshiping God, loving people, and managing things. So these last few verses, they kind of maybe seem like almost throwaway verses, but they're not. They're not. And we're going to dig in to see what God wants to show us and how He wants to actually taste once again and see that He is good and that it will satisfy our soul. So let's look again. Look at verse 21. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. And all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. These are greetings that are grounded in Christ Jesus. Greetings that are grounded in people who have a whole new identity found in Him, in Him alone. And there is a connectivity between one church to another because of Christ, because of being found in Him. First of all, because if you're in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. You are a saint. And that has kind of two meanings. First of that is that of being a holy one. A holy one. And so, you know, this letter started out with this greeting. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, or saints, in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Yes, they're God's people, but so much more. Saints starting out with the meaning of having right standing before a holy God. Not because of what you or I have done, sinful men and women, because what we've done is merits punishment. Our hearts are in rebellion against God. It's what He does for us. The Apostle Paul expresses this in his letter to the Colossians about this status. Colossians 1.22 But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It removes from the, the thought of being a saint, of having to do something Super amazing to be called a saint. That you have to be some sort of super Christian. And ultimately it goes right to the heart of the gospel. Of what God has done for us in Christ to present us acceptable to himself. God is the source of all righteousness, all holiness, all justice. And he meets his own standard for us in Christ. And then it is imputed to us given to us who have put our faith in Christ. 
You know, if you attend Berean quite often and are here on a, on a communion Sunday, I will quite often quote this verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. That God made him, speaking of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. I say it like clockwork, it seems like. And if you repeat me, I don't care. As long as you're taking in that truth. Because there are two things I want to, I want to bring forth when I repeat that verse. Number one, the amazing great exchange that God has accomplished in Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. He takes, Jesus becomes sin for us. The Father's wrath comes upon Him. And then we get Christ's righteousness. That is amazing. That should cause us to wonder and rejoice. But also to rebuke the accuser of the brethren who comes at us and condemns us for our failure to live up to God's standard. And it's not as though God winks at, at sin. He doesn't. But, again, as I said, he fulfills his own righteousness in that Christ lived the life that we couldn't live. And he pays the price we couldn't pay. And it is Christ who has made you, who has made me, holy and righteous in his eyes. Not by us doing anything, but what he's done. So, you are a saint. And you may sin. So you're a saint that sins. But you're a saint nonetheless. You have righteous standing before a holy God because of Christ. Second thought of saint, of the word holy, is that is one who is set apart. Set apart for him. You're not just damaged goods waiting for God to show up at the end of time to reclaim you. No, He has redeemed you. He has bought you back for Himself. And He has repurposed you for His good use. Ephesians 2.10 We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good deeds that He has prepared beforehand. In fact, the Apostle Peter goes on to say that we are a royal priesthood. And that Someone, people are specifically set apart for his purposes. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. Yeah, it's a major change from the old covenant to the new covenant. And it brings forth the concept that if you are in Christ, there's a priesthood to all believers as we put our faith in our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are set aside. You are God's special possession, set apart for His purposes, not His own, not your own. How many of you know who Bill Bright is? Bill Bright, maybe I'm dating myself, is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now known as Crew. But he put out a little pamphlet called The Four Spiritual Laws. 
And you know how it starts out? It says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Let me tell you, Bill Bright is right. If you are in Christ, God does love you and has a wonderful plan for your life that you would display His glory through your life, that you would be His saints set apart to make known His glorious riches to this world. That's the purpose. So what an amazing concept that you may have been a child of wrath in rebellion against God, heading towards His destruction, destruction for our sin, and then when Christ comes into you, He makes you a saint. Holy before God with right standing and a new purpose. Greetings from the saints, from one saint to another. How does that thought hit you? Do you think of yourself as a saint? Or you kind of go, eh, I don't know, you know, I'm batting about 500, I don't know. I'm not sure. Again, that thought is contingent upon you, on your ability to obey. It has to be contingent upon what Christ has done. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for you in order that you might become the righteousness of God. There might be some of us also in this room who, hmm, you know, we believe in Jesus, but we're not really wanting to be about his business. It kind of, we got our fire insurance and then we're good with that. And I got to tell you, if that's, if that's where you're at, I think you're playing a dangerous game. I'm not talking about perfection, but if you're on the throne of your life, if you want to own all your decisions and kind of keep Jesus to the side, I think you're playing a dangerous game. Because you may believe intellectually, but you've not, perhaps you've not been transformed. I can't tell you that. Only you know that. But the Lord Jesus Christ gives us these words of warning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Again, this is not a call to perfection. But it is a call to saying, I want you to take him at his word. Actually believe him. Start moving towards him. And allow him to live his life in you, a life you can't live. Because that's what he wants to do. Are you set apart for him as a saint? If you're not, maybe you need to ask the question, have I really received Christ? Have I really allowed him to live his life in me? Or am I living for myself? So, in common with other saints, right standing, being set apart by his people. But number two, you have a new family. Remember what he said here in the second half of verse 21. The brothers who are with me send greetings. And again, the context is the Apostle Paul with brothers or fellow believers here in, in Rome as he's writing this letter. But he's really pointing to a greater reality. If you're in Christ, then you are his children. 
And if you are children, his children, you are part of a greater family than your own family around you. Even your church family. Paul calls the Philippians to demonstrate this by not grumbling and complaining. But here's the greater point, that God has made us one family, one people in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 19 highlight this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one, that is Jews and Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, he, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he has put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Again, think about this concept. These are people in Philippi, and these are people in Rome. And they're writing letters back and forth. They may never meet ever on this side of heaven. Yet they consider themselves family because of Christ, because of what God has done. What an amazing thing. Same thing for us, right? People across the world, strangers, maybe even enemies, according to the world's standard, but now they're family. You know, if you follow the New Testament narrative, the Gentile church, Paul and, and those around him, they took up a love collection to serve the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who were suffering through a famine. And they took care of them because they were family. We're all part of the same family. Here at Breen Community Church, we've had the privilege, and I do mean the privilege, to come alongside the brothers and sisters in India, in Congo, in Cuba, in Haiti, the Philippines. And I'm not saying this to be self-congratulatory, like, look what we've done. <laughs> no. We should feel that way. We should reach out to our brothers and sisters, because they are family. We should care. Because God has blessed us and called us to be faithful with the things that he's given us. And you know what? I am humbled when I hear, I hear you know, messages like, hey, we're praying for you, Pastor Nathan, and Berean Community Church from Haiti, from Congo, from India. I love it when we get letters from Anurag Society in, in India. We're praying for you. We need those prayers. But that's because we all have a sense of family between one another. It's a reminder that we are brothers and sisters because of one father, even though we may be children of another mother. Do we have that mindset? That their family, even though we may never meet them, you may never go to Haiti, you may never go to Cuba, you may never go to India, but they are family to us. 
Do we have that mindset? They're our family. And we're connected by Christ. And then Paul points out to some unlikely family members. Verse 22. And all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. This is growth of the gospel in an unexpected place. Again, if you know the narrative of Paul's story, he basically was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He was considered a troublemaker by the Jewish leaders and even the Roman authorities. There was a plot to kill him on his way to court. He makes an appeal to Caesar and his Roman citizenship, and it kept him safe. He gets shipped off to Rome, the few adventures at sea, and then he arrived at Rome, and now he waits in this scenario to appear before the emperor Nero. And his enemies were saying, well, at least we've taken care of that problem. He's in jail now with Caesar, and, you know, we've got that taken care of. We've shut him up. But the thing is, it didn't. And it didn't stop the gospel. He was chained to a guard, palace guard 24-7, and he had a captive audience to share the good news of Christ with him. Where Paul was sent to languish, actually the seed of the gospel started to grow and spread. In Caesar's household, at the highest place of power in the Roman Empire. What an amazing thing. The Philippians could take courage and not be discouraged that because they were experiencing resistance or persecution, that that doesn't limit God. And it doesn't limit the gospel. It actually shows God's work and His power at work. You know, here's the truth. In God's economy, sometimes the gospel grows in strange soil. Remember, the Apostle Paul, who was at one time Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the gospel, Jesus turns him around 180 degrees and makes him his bulldog for the gospel. And I've told you from this pulpit a few times about one of my high school classmates who I affectionately called Stoner Bill in his days, right? Addicted to drugs, heading nowhere, kind of a thug at school, and somebody picks him up in my youth group and as he's hitchhiking and shares the gospel with him. In fact, I had a run-in with him at school. It wasn't so nice. I didn't like the guy. And all of a sudden, he shows up at my youth group, and he's trying to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, I guess he's a part of the family. I guess I need to to love him. The gospel is growing in a strange soil. And God is fully at work with my brother Bill today. But with all of this, we need to keep in mind the big picture of who our God is, folks. That the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. That the weakness, supposed weakness of God, is stronger than the strength of men. That he works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That nothing is too difficult, nothing is impossible for him. That is the God that we serve. 
That is the God that we follow. That is the God that we trust. And so in those moments where life or society or government puts up a a roadblock, we don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to think we're stopped. We don't have to think, well, there's no moving forward. Because our God is greater than all those things. And we need to be reminded of that. The gospel, growing in Caesar's household, that's amazing. That's amazing. But that's the God that we serve. And again, it's not our job to convert people. The Apostle Paul would talk about it in 1 Corinthians. Hey, I would plant, Apollos would water, but God was the one who brought the growth. And that's who we look to. It should give us great joy and great confidence, no matter the circumstances. Verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Grace. Grace. What God is doing is all of grace. And what God has done in sending His Son to purchase our salvation. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. It's God's grace. His unmerited favor poured out on us. What He has shown in our hearts who respond to Him. Revealing it to our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You didn't come to Christ because you were so smart. It's because... God's shown His light in your heart, in your life. And grace where He chooses to dwell through His Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Grace for empowerment. God at work in us, even in all situations. Philippians 4.13 I can do all this through Him. Through Christ who gives me strength. Grace in what He grows in us. To sanctify us. To grow us into people who are more like Jesus. To work out our salvation. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. And it is God who meets us with His grace when you and I fail or sin. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. And it is this grace, this grace that we have received, 
that he wants us to learn to extend to one another. From his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, there you go, holy and dearly loved saints, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Grace. Grace. It's all of grace. Grace is what you need when you fail. Grace is what you need when you succeed. Grace is what you need when you're sick. And grace to you, my brothers and sisters who are sick. And grace is what you need when you're well. Grace is what you need when you're hurting and your heart is broken. And grace is what you need when you're happy. But it is His sustaining, unmerited favor. And it is all of grace. It's what we have needed, and it's what we will continue to need. Every moment, every hour, every second. And when he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, we can't see it here in the English, but he's not saying, hey, grace be with y'all. It's not this kind of blanket cover. He says, grace of Jesus Christ be with each one of you. Each one of you. If you are in Christ, each one of you, He has given you His grace. And He will continue, continue to give it to you. Each one. That's what our Father does through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you for today. For being an elder. For being a mom. For being a child. Submitting to your parents. Grace to each one. If you are in Christ, He has imparted His grace to you and will continue to do it. Of course, you've heard that, perhaps you've heard that acrostic of grace. It means God's riches at Christ's expense. You are expensively and extravagantly loved. I'm reminded what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. If God has given His own Son for us, how much more will He not give us all things? Grace. Grace to you. Let me ask you a question. How did you come to know grace? That's a good story to tell people. And let me ask you this question. 
Are you aware of the grace that you've received even today? Can you see it? That's a great thing to learn to be aware of. But if you are in Christ, you've received His grace. So, my fellow saints, my brothers and sisters, who serve a Father, a God, who can't be stopped, I pray that you have received some grace today through these leftovers. Are encouraged and can taste and see that He is good and can be satisfied in that. Grace to you. Be to your spirit. And will you and your worship team come and close us up today. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words that we can gloss over so quickly but they have meaning. Meaning in changing our identity. Meaning in reminding us of the God that we serve. Meaning in what you provide every day, which is your grace. And you've entrusted us with your good news. <laughs> Make us faithful to proclaim it until you come. That others might receive grace as well. So we're grateful, Lord Jesus, for you. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, that you sent your Son. We're grateful, Holy Spirit, that you come and dwell within us. Let us exude grace to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.